What's really awesome is seeing where some of these companies are putting their, sending their employees and putting their time in. They're teaching hunters ed to kids. They're, 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 you know, doing really good stuff. And he was talking about how important it is for his company culture that they all be on the same page with conservation and the future being the focus instead of just making a buck. One hurdle I keep hearing people have, and you can probably speak to this more, is the financial, you know, commitment to start hunting. You know, when I go and do talks and stuff, I'll ask the room, I'll ask the millennials, who, who got you into hunting? Half of them will say, I did myself, or I was listening to a podcast or saw a TV show. There are small ones near you. If you start Googling or go to the local gun club and ask about, hey, are there any conservation groups in the area? You can find a way to give back and have a very meaningful impact in your local area. You have these smaller organizations all doing a little bit of work all over the place. That is a pile of work being done that would not have been done initially. This is Jared Frazier with 2% for Conservation, and you are listening to Living Country in the City. Y'all ready for your dose of flyover state spirit? Straight from the concrete jungle? Well, put down your latte and pull on your boots. It's time for Living Country in the City. All right, y'all, welcome to episode 65 of Living Country in the City. Now, back at the Western Hunt Expo, I got a chance to sit down with Jared Frazier of 2% for Conservation. At this point, I think you all know that conservation is a huge issue for me, and we really dig down into why it is necessary to give more than just your taxes through Pittman-Robertson or Dingle-Johnson. We also talk a bit about what 2% for Conservation is and how they help contribute to the overall health of our wildlife and wild places. So, hope you all enjoy this episode with Jared Frazier of 2% for Conservation. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. All right, y'all, welcome to another episode of Living Country in the City. As we have been for the past few, we're hanging out at the Western Hunting and Conservation Expo in Salt Lake City, Utah. Having a good time, starting to lose my voice here a little bit, uh, but I'm, I'm getting to talk with Still some there. amazing people. It's just, it's getting lower and lower. I'm sounding manlier and manlier. You got the Vin Diesel thing going on, yeah. Absolutely. Smoke a pack a day. 
<laughs> got to get that. Got to get those overtones. I was trying to think of like a cool Vin Diesel line to uh, to do right there, and I, I honestly cannot. I can barely think of movies he's been in, let alone like. That's just because he's such a good actor. You forget about. It. <laughs> Absolutely, I forget that it's Vin Diesel, and that it's and that it's not uh, the the. I don't know. Pitch Black's the only one I can think of, to be completely yeah. honest. Uh, no know. Fast and Furious series. Oh no, gosh, not, yeah. no, nothing. I'm a little slow. Nothing about that. <laughs> I may have had a couple of beers last night. Oh, well, haven't we all? You know, despite it being Salt Lake, and the thing is, you know, with the laws here. It's like if you're going to get it from a tap, it's going to be like 3.2% alcohol, mm-hmm. which is lighter than a Bud Light. Absolutely. So people that were out last night with Steins thinking they were some kind of superheroes, and you see them walking <laughs> around today, like, ah, it's not just the alcohol that'll get you, buddy. But well, no, it's know, good. People seem pretty happy. It's a pretty full day today. Absolutely. And we were out uh, celebrating uh, BHA at the Pine Night last night for a little yep. bit, and had a good time meeting those folks. Uh, saw t- Mr. Ty Stubblefield out there, gave him a little yeah. bit of grief, and... No, it was, a, it was a good night. It's a good time out here. Um, but, you know, it is. We are here. This is the Western Hunting and Conservation Expo. And as the, as the old mantra goes, you know, hunting is conservation. And wanted to, uh, wanted to thank you for hopping on. I wanted to sit down maybe uh, talk a little bit about, about what conservation is, what people can do for it, and talk about the organization 2% for Conservation. Yeah. So uh, 2% for Conservation was started... Uh, a couple years ago, uh, it was slowly being formed, basically off the similar model of 1% for the planet, where businesses and people get certified if they're giving back 1% of their time and 1% of their money to hunting and fishing conservation work. So it could be going and teaching hunters ed. It could be writing checks to groups like RMEF or Mule Deer Foundation that's here or BHA. Um, you know, any kind of organization that's helping with hunting advancement or fish and wildlife conservation qualifies. Um, and then volunteering their hours is the other part because, as our board likes to say, you know, anyone can write a check, and I'm doing that with air quotes. Um, but it takes, you know, a, a special mindset to want to volunteer your actual time. Put yourself in a position of either being out in the field doing something like a fence pole or serving juice to someone who's doing a fence pole or beer. Um, (laughs) Please bring beer. Um, Or maybe going and speaking at a a town hall uh, representing hunters or anglers on stuff. And it's something that companies have been doing for a long time through Pittman-Robertson dollars. If, if you're familiar with that, uh, the Pittman-Robertson Act uh, requires a certain excise tax be put on like firearms and archery equipment and ammunition. Um, unfortunately, a lot of companies have just kind of hidden behind that for a long time of, well, we already give back. And a lot of hunters have too, because frankly, it's the hunter who's paying, you know, the amount. The business just builds it into their cost. That's... This notion that these businesses are suffering, you know, having to do the tax is not really there. It's the hunters that are, you know, having to pay extra to be able to do it. And it's great. And, and, and when people, uh, you know, brought it forward, it was a bipartisan bill back in the 30s when no one had any money. Everyone needed to be able to shoot as much as they could to survive, but they knew they had to do something. And everyone was very excited uh, to support it. But frankly, it's just not enough. Uh, whether Pittman Robertson or Dinkle Johnson, which is the fishing end of things. If it were enough, uh, groups like Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation wouldn't exist. Mule Deer Foundation wouldn't exist. Um, Backcountry hunters and anglers wouldn't exist. Trout Unlimited. The, none of them would need to exist if those excise taxes were enough. Uh, especially as we see millennials taking over the, uh, you know, being the, the dominant hunters by 2035. 
um, you know, vastly outnumbering any other age group. We don't have the money to drop, you know, six figures on an auction tag. We just don't. I mean, some may be able to, but they're going to be rare. Um, and the way that we like to hunt is also different. So, and, and the way we like to fish too. So this model of at least creating a baseline of 1% of your time and 1% of your money being what is considered just standard for giving back uh, was something that we saw needed to happen. So I came on in August uh, as the executive director, and what we've been doing is really trying to uh, do this incremental step-by-step culture shift towards everyone you know, seeing this as something we need to do. Uh, we don't have an option with it. We can't just wait for someone else to write a check. Each one of us needs to be giving back as we can. And through volunteering with different, uh, like local chapters, RMEF in Montana, uh, serving on the Montana Backcountry Hunters and Anglers Board, I meet a lot of people who are, you know, making, you know, they're, they're, they're nearly at the poverty line, but they're giving a lot of their time and a lot of the money that they do have to ensuring that the next generation has the same opportunities that we did and that generations before us did. Um, so things are looking, you know, looking uh, really bright for the future, but at the same time, you know, we do need to create a standard. And so that's what we're, we're all about. Now that's awesome. And I think, you know, you were talking about it where anybody can, to some extent, anybody can write a check and, and yeah, the money is super important. Um, like you say, you know, we got Pittman Robertson, we got Dingle Johnson, but it's not enough. They, you know, so the money is important, but you can only do so much with money when you don't have boots on the ground. Yeah. Um, you know, you can have all the, all the money in the world, but if you don't have any way to spend it, if you don't have people to build those guzzlers, if you don't have people to uh, go out and do those, uh, do those on the ground, hands-on conservation projects and, and and work for all that, the, the money can't really, can yeah. only be so effective. Yeah. Uh, a good example would be the work done for fringe species like mountain goats. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Get out oh, of here. Here's trouble. Here's trouble. <laughs> of course, so, of course, uh, Ty Stubblefield, Ryan, Ryan Callahan, and all them have and, to walk by right as we're Keller, yeah. <sighs> they were super mature about it too. Trouble. I'm so surprised mature the about it. stayed on. <laughs> there's kids around that's the only reason why <laughs> but uh no a, a good example of of where boots on the ground are extra important are for fringe species like mountain goats or like pronghorn that kind of are their own thing live in extreme places and where frankly a lot of fish and game offices do not have the budget to do the work that's needed uh, I was on the phone with uh, photographer Tony Bynum yesterday. Uh, he lives in Montana. We're good friends, and he's an incredible guy to know in the industry just because he was doing conservation before it was sexy um, and is still doing it now when it's turning into kind of a dirty buzzword. He's still you know, staying on mission with it. We were talking about this project he's going to go do in Wyoming with mule deer and doing fawn counts. Like When people talk about conservation successes, the image everyone has is a big old sexy buck on the cover of Outdoor Life. <laughs> when really, the way you measure is so much more complicated. You need to look at the quality of the habitat. You need to look at what's the fawn uh, predation rate. What's, what's the uh, winter kill look like? What, you know, all these different things. And you find that stuff out by volunteer work. Because the agencies simply don't have the money. Um, 
almost all of them have had their budgets consistently cut for the last 30 years and given to other things. They just don't have the means to do it. So this is where businesses and individuals can get in and work directly with the people, the biologists, the local volunteers, who's maybe they're a postal service driver, but they love to go out and do goat surveys and sit on the side of a mountain and, and watch, you know, white ghosts up on top of the cliffs. Um, through giving back and through being very... Um, thoughtful about how you give back, not just writing a check at an auction or something like that or at a banquet, but picking the projects that are you're passionate about, a lot more quality work is done. And it's a lot easier to tell the story of the work done for other people to replicate it. That's one of the hard things right now with another generation taking over a lot of the conservation work is some of the stories just aren't being told of work that was done for years. Um, We've had some folks, some kind of pillars in conservation in Montana pass away in the last few years. Uh, Ron Moody passed away last year. He was a guy up in the Breaks area. He, he was kind of known all over the state, but he was big on pushing young people to, and I say young people, I'm 31, but <laughs> he harped on me. You need to teach Hunter's Ed. Everyone else who's teaching Hunter's Ed has gray hair. I'm like, what's wrong with gray hair? They die. Uh, okay. <laughs> Um, you know, but instilling a passion for the work that they did. Here's this precious thing I've been working on for the last 50 years. Please help take care of it. Instead of being like, you boys and your man buns. I don't have a man bun, by the way, but, you know. <laughs> He's lying, folks. He's lying. It's hidden under the hat. I see. I see there's it. A, there's a nasty man bun. <laughs> I do live near Bozeman, so. Oh, but no, it's important. And, and uh, I think we're seeing some good good work being done, but it comes from leadership from the companies willing to set aside that and willing to commit themselves to it and set aside competition. Um, it also requires individuals who are willing to basically tax themselves, but through charitable giving. Charitable giving that won't give them as good of a tax return as it used to, but still do it because it's the future and it's what matters for the next generation to be able to do it. There's a lot of little kids walking around us right now. They and for them to be able are. to hunt, it's going to require people giving back. Yep. Everybody giving back. If you got five bucks, okay, five bucks. But you got to give back. You know, it's interesting. Like, I sit and I, I, I think about it. You know, I think about, okay, you know, my nephews and, and if, I, if I ever have kids and, and stuff like that. But then, I mean, it's urgent enough to where I think about myself and my ability to go hunt in, in 10, 15, 20 years. Mm -hmm. And what I'm going to be able to do. And, I, you know, I'm doing a... I'm doing a uh, sheep survey as part, you know, we don't have a, uh, it's interesting, we don't have a ton of very obvious boots on the ground opportunities in Southern California. There's, there's stuff that takes a little bit more traveling, but uh, uh, sheep survey came up at about an hour from my place. I was excited to go do that. And I was, uh, had, I, I posted some stuff up trying to encourage others to get there, had some other, had some other uh, local friends share it. And you know, there's one guy that commented on uh, one of my buddies posts and He's like, oh, well, you know, I'd, I'd consider coming down if I could hunt them. Mm. And, and someone responded, you know, they're like, well, you might be able to if you can someday <laughs> if you come down and, and, and help with this. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I remember I'm like, you know, that's, that's the point. It's, it's about uh, building something up and doing more for conservation. And I kind of reiterated what you had said earlier was that it's, you know, our, our tags and our ammo and our guns aren't... Mm -hmm doing enough anymore um no it's just it's just not nearly enough so each of us needs to step up and if we want if we want to be able to do this we gotta gotta give a little extra and you know 
his response, he was polite. His response was like, well, I don't know. I just, I just don't get it. Like, you know, yeah. I just can't, I just can't understand that. Yeah. You, you do uh, you, that's, man. That's pretty normal, actually, because a lot of folks, if, if they're disconnected from the cycle of it, or at least uh, how opportunity works, then yeah, <laughs> that can, can be a hard conversation. Another thing you'll often find are, are people like to try to hide behind heroes. Someone else will get the work done. Some legislature will pass a bill. We'll put all of our trust in that, that they'll make such and such legal, or they'll do this or that or whatever. And, and they believe in a strong man who turns out to be more of a straw man in, <laughs> in, in the long term. Um, and it's easy to get hung up on that stuff. And that stuff will divide hunters too, but really it, it comes down to having your own personal grit. Um, a lot of folks in conservation love to you know, laud Teddy Roosevelt. He was a shrimpy kid from the city. You're not shrimpy, but you are from the city. <laughs> well, I was, I was at one point. <laughs> you know, he, was, he, was, he was a kid with, with, who was sick and stuff, and he decided to you know, not be that way. And he decided to test himself and, and, and to build grit. And uh, I think he liked to use the word vigor mm-hmm. a lot. Uh, but one thing that pissed him off was when people like to call in from the sidelines and be like, that's not how you do it. Mm-hmm. A lot of folks are probably familiar with the, his speech, The Man in the Arena, where he, he talks about it's not the people on the sidelines who are yelling different things like, no, this is how you need to do it. No, that's how you need to do it. But it's actually the one that's in the arena ble- bleeding and sweating and fighting and crying and, you know, not crying like <laughs> whining, but, you know, putting their passion into it. Those who are actually engaged to get the stuff done. We're, you know, we've got social media where folks love to go, oh, you did such and such? Well, good for you. What, what, what about this? I saw a post this morning where someone did a, a sheep um, capture to move them to a, a different mountain range. And there were like all these comments like, oh, that's really smart. All they're going to do is yada, yada. Oh, were you there? Did you, did you give any money to, to you know, and, and we deal with it with, uh, frankly, the anti-hunting community too. They don't give as much. But if we just sit there and yell at them and go, you suck, we're awesome we're not going to be in any better shape either. Yeah. So, you know, the, the guys who just walked by and were, you know, doing obscene things towards us <laughs> uh, are, are great examples. Uh, Ty and Ryan and Josh are always showing up at places advocating for what we do to people who don't understand what we do. And a lot of these guys who want to act really tough on Facebook and be anti, anti-hunter yuppies, you're such and such, such as I doubt they would show up. I have yet to see a lot of them show up to some of these meetings where you got to stick your neck out for what you know is right. We need more grit and more vigor in our community than what we've had. Not hiding behind big sexy bucks anymore, but men and women who are willing to go out and do doe counts, do fawn counts, go out and count how many sage grouse are sitting on a lek. (laughs) And not just, you know, march into the to the sound of the drum of whoever's yelling the loudest but go out and actually do the work and if we do that we've got a bright future that's awesome so two percent for conservation you guys i guess i cert, i don't know certifies the right word yeah. or it's it's like an accreditation service so um we're, we're like the better better business bureau for uh hunting and 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 fishing uh, enthusiast companies and, and people. You don't have to be a hunting or fishing company to get certified. We've got some breweries and coffee shops and I've got a dentist who's filling out an application who gives at least 1% of their annual sales and, and 21 hours, which is 1% of time, uh, to conservation work. 
and we certify that they do it. Um, every company that's certified with us has to send in what they do at the end of every year. Um, now, they don't send me a full tax return. I don't ask. They need to send like a CPA note, um, you know, a third party so that someone's holding the collective asses as it, as it were. But a note of, hey, this was our sales and here's who we gave to. And then how much it was so that I can you know, verify that it was at least 1%. Um, and then with their time, I need to see where their volunteer time went. And what's really awesome is seeing where some of these companies are putting their, sending their employees and putting their time in. They're teaching hunter's ed to kids. They're doing uh, family hikes for people to go out and, and uh, you know, count grouse lecks and stuff like that. They're going down, taking kids fishing. Um, they're taking old people fishing. They're, they're you know, doing really good stuff. Um, or they're going to town hall stuff where they're speaking up for the, for the local hunting industry. Um, you know, and, and what the economic impact is on that. Because, frankly, hunting and fishing find themselves up against a lot of other industries that want to use our land and water. Um, and for a long time, have been considered, like, not legitimate industries, even though it's one of the biggest ones in the country. <laughs> <laughs> Folks are finally starting to catch on and throw some muscle around. Um, so I love seeing where they, where they put their time, but they all have to do that every year. So uh, even founding member like Sitka, they send me their stuff. Garrett Long, their conservation director, sends me, here's what we gave and to who. And here's the hours our employees put in at these different places. First Light does it. Mountain Ops, who's here, we're doing the, the glow-in-the-dark archery stuff tonight. They're throwing a party tonight here. Um, they send me the same thing. And I love seeing where it goes because they get really creative with it. Um, I was talking to a, uh, one of the owners of another company here that once they're certified, I can name them, but let's just say that it involves maps and your draw odds in certain areas. <laughs> <laughs> and he was talking about how important it is for his company culture that they all be on the same page with conservation and the future being the focus instead of just making a buck. And that was awesome. Like, that, that is a big shift in what we used to see when you would come to events like this, where it's everyone who won't talk to so-and-so, different companies been suing each other, other people won't get along. Now we've got, like I said, breweries wanting to partner with camo companies, wanting to partner with the Elk Foundation, wanting to do kids programs. Like, it's really cool. Where before you had to pull teeth to make it happen. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's exciting. Well, and it's, I mean, it's an amazing story, like you were saying, and, you know, I don't, uh, whoever, whoever's listening to this, if, you know, y'all listen to Randy Newberg, you probably heard the, the recent podcast and, uh, that you were on with First yeah. Light and Sitka, and I think it's, it's just an amazing example of how the hunting industry should be. Um, There's a shift, them. yeah. It's really focusing on conservation, uh, promoting over themselves, promoting what's really important. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, I mean, pretty much the two biggest, biggest camo clothing companies out there. Well, for specialized Alpine. Yeah. 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 And now Waterfowl and, and some of the other stuff. But I mean, it was the founders of the two companies. And I thought when I sent them the email, I was going to get, you know, a little hemming and hawing, you know, because I did send that email to a lot of companies and they both said, sweet, when can we do it? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> 
well, that's not uh, the response I got <laughs> from a couple other ones. <laughs> um, but then, you know, since it happened, I've gotten emails from other business members of ours, other certified business members who are like, I want to do a sit down with this other company that makes the same thing I do. I want to sit, you know, we want to do the same thing. We want to show that this is new. This is a, this is who we are as hunters now. We're not this combative group of misfits and outcasts. Some of us still are. <laughs> I, frankly, it's a little weird to be in a building full of people. I, we, we were both walking over and talking about that, how it was like our personal idea of hell, yeah. walking around a building full of people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's lots of people that I don't know touching me right now. <laughs> oh, so many of them. But, uh, but it's, it's through them setting aside, you know, and frankly losing some money in the here and now that will help ensure their business in the future. And for the non-endemic companies, the dentists, the breweries, the coffee shops, it's a way for them to give back to their community in a way that they're passionate about. One of the breweries that are coming on in Montana right now, uh, their entire staff either hunts or fishes. Uh, all their brewers, all the, all the bartenders, the kid who sweeps the floor. <laughs> like, he's, he's walking around wearing some ratty camo. It, you know, it's, it's our people. Yeah. And our people are everywhere. We just got to unify under something. And conservation's been a great thing. It used to be we unified under, hey, we like to eat. And I still, I am a, a, a subsistence hunter. I mean, when I get home, I've got some elk brisola I've been aging for a little bit that I need to, I'm, I'm really excited to get into. But, you know, I, my kids, they understand wild game and fish as food. But they also understand that you need to protect where your food comes from and you need to protect your food source. Mm -hmm. And that's become more and more rare. You live it in the city. People have no idea where their food's coming from. Oh, you know, you got, you, they, they do absolutely everything to disguise that it was a, a living animal. You know, you got the little diaper in the bottom of the... The, the diaper. The, oh, yeah, yeah, steak. the tray to soak up the... And you the, soak up anything, the, 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 juice, the water, yeah. the juice, the lift yeah. or blood, whatever that is, yeah. to remove any, any concept that it was... It was ever a living creature. It's yeah. just this amorphous blob of, of, of pink. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah, it's the, the magical Walmart fairy comes and delivers it, and you, yep. uh, and you throw it on the grill, and it was never a living animal. And yeah. I mean, it's the oldest story in the book. You know, the, the person that opposes hunting yet, yet goes home and eats McDonald's or eats a, Where's meat come from? The store! Exactly. Uh, yeah. Well, there is the move for the local vor, you know. Uh, that's really coming back. I mean, the wealthiest hunter in the world, do you know their name? The wealthiest hunter. And this is not like a metaphor or anything. The the hunter who has the most dollars in the bank. No clue. He's the richest hunter. Mark Zuckerberg. Really? Yeah. He likes to kill his own meat. He made a video. It was on Facebook for a long time. I tried to find it the other day. But yeah, he likes to kill his own meat. With the amount of crap we get on Facebook for... Well, there's boards and stuff, though. I yeah. mean, he, he's not the only decision maker there. And it's not like he's <laughs> posting his dead stuff either. Yeah, true. Um, but he was actually up fishing in northern Montana with uh, one of the national board members of BHA, Hillary Hutchins. Um, she just came on their board, national board. Yeah, um, yeah. He was up there fishing, and he wanted to eat it. You know, <laughs> like, it, it's, you know, he's a millennial. He's, he's our age, and... Uh, he wanted to know where his food was coming from. And there's a lot of people who want to do that. They were raised on microwave dinners, watching Jeopardy every night with their parents, and suddenly they're not feeling so good. The food's not treating them the right way, and they want to know where it comes from. Mm-hmm. And hunting is providing a great opportunity. 
one hurdle I keep hearing that people have, and you can probably speak to this more, is the financial you know, commitment to start hunting on a large scale. Like if you're thinking, I'm going to go shoot a deer, like the, the number of stuff you have to get, you're looking at a minimum of a couple hundred bucks easily just oh, to... Yeah. And gear and... Yeah. And, you know, we, we, we always say, oh, yeah, we set the bar too high. We set the bar too high. I say it all the time. And, and we definitely do make it as difficult as possible on ourselves to get into hunting. And, um, mm. But, I mean, the bar, regardless of how, you know, how much gear you get, you do need something, you know. Yeah. You can, you can pick up the, the Walmart camo, but, I mean, you're going to need oh. a weapon. They're, they're yeah. not cheap, even... An, an, an inexpensive, you know, an inexpensive like PSE, just yep. pre-built everything together. Yep. Bow, you're you're dropping four hundred bucks. Well, and that's that's where I think one thing that we can do is it, if you're if you're trying to get someone into something like kids with sports or whatever, you start with a gateway drug. You know, not weed in this case, but um, <laughs> you know, you start with a gateway drug. And for many people, fishing can be that. Yep. They go to the local pond um, and they can catch a couple bluegill. It's going to be a, they're going to discover real quickly why people, you know, don't like cleaning bluegill too much. <laughs> but you go out with a $10 pole, some worms you dug up, you catch two or three of them, if, you know, once you get things kind of figured out. Take it home, you get a spoon, you scale it, gut out the middle with a knife, you're done in like five minutes, throw that thing on the grill, and you're now eating something you caught. Yep. And it costs you very little. So then you up your game a little bit. Now you're going and trying to catch this thing, or maybe you pick up a pellet gun. You're going to start hunting squirrels or grouse or something like that. Um, There are ways to get there, but if we set the image of this alpine hunter going after a stone sheep, you know. I mean, don't get me wrong. That's uh, like the sexiest image out there, you know. It's like, come on. You want to be that guy. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, they won't. I mean, they'll, they'll look at the price tag and go, I can't hunt. Yeah. Not realizing... There's food all around them. It's just you got to start small. And so many of them were raised with parents who didn't. Um, one thing we've been seeing a lot of, you know, when I go and do talks and stuff, I'll ask the room, I'll ask the millennials, who, t- who got you into hunting? Half of them will say, I did myself, or I was listening to a podcast or saw a TV show. Um, YouTube video popped YouTube up. YouTube videos or something like that. And I taught myself. The other half will say grandma or grandpa or an older uncle or aunt. And, or an older neighbor, you know, some yep. surrogate of that kind of role. Very few are saying it was their parents. A uh, lot of baby boomers were crazy into hunting. Their kids hated them for it because they were always disappearing, so their kids didn't hunt. But those baby boomers' grandkids are wanting to hunt. They yep. want to know where their food's coming from. So there's an opportunity for the older generation, if they want to get involved and, and raise up the next one, be a surrogate, you know, kind of grandparent figure. And seeing a lot of that kind of stuff going on right now, taking people fishing. Um, and you don't even have to be older. I mean, if, if you know somebody who doesn't know how to hunt but wants to, give up your season maybe to go and be with them, if you can, you know, mm-hmm. or at least have them come along. Even if they're not hunting, have them come along. Like, we're basically going for a walk with a boomstick, but it could turn into a very good day. Yep. So... Talking a little bit more again about two percent. You know, you, we talked about the kind of the corporate sponsorship and yeah. some of some of the. I mean, just awesome founding companies, founding members of uh, 
of the organization. Um, but you also uh, there's also uh, the ability for individuals yeah. to commit. Yeah. And, uh, so it's honor system for individuals. I do we, I do require that they say who they give to. Um, but I, I'm not going to ask for a CPA note, and I'm not going <laughs> to ask for their tax return. That's really personal. And we're getting like five members a week right now coming on, and I'm, I've not been advertising the individual membership super heavy just because it's been show season and whatnot, trying to work with our business side. But for the individuals, when they sign on, they get information from the nonprofits on things that they can help out with, mm-hmm. things that they can show up for. Um, maybe there's a local program that needs someone to show up once a month for an hour just to be involved. Or um, you know, maybe there's a nonprofit that's looking for an experienced hunter to be on their local board or committee. Uh, I know a lot of those that are short on people right now who are willing to step up, who care about the conservation end of things more than just trying to get the biggest animal they can or the most animals they can. Um, The other thing is they will get special offers from our business members from time to time that some of them are almost pro staff level discounts and stuff uh, that they'll they'll get access to. So, um, you know, there's benefits that way, but really what we're going for is a culture shift. So on our end, I don't want to be a t-shirt company. I don't want to be a pro deal company. There are already websites for that. What I want is for people to be going around and frankly bragging what they're doing. Uh, get, their, you know, get their slouching buddies at hunting camp <laughs> to maybe join them in what they're doing. 21 hours a year is a very small amount to be giving back. I mean, it could be giving of your skills. You either have time money or a special gift, as, as Randy likes to say, that you can give back with. Like with this, you're doing a podcast. You have those skills. I would not know how to set up what you just set up. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you can give your skills. You can give your time. Um, if you're a web designer, there are some nonprofits that really need help uh, Ooh, but yeah. don't have budgets. Um, if, if you're an accountant, there are a lot of nonprofits that really need someone to look at their books and make sure that they're okay. Um, and not just the big ones, like people go, well, how could I ever help, you know, this huge multimillion dollar one that's not even in my state. Um, there are small ones near you. If you start Googling or go to the local gun club and ask about, Hey, are there any conservation groups in the area? You can find a way to give back and have a very meaningful impact in your local area very easily. So our goal is, is I, I don't want to have, you know, 30 employees and be this group that does all these pro deals and has all these businesses doing these parties for, you know, that's not my shtick. I don't handle their money. I just make sure that it goes out. My shtick is a culture shift uh, within the hunting industry. And so that just means slow steps along the way. So individual members coming on and advocating for the groups that they support and letting folks know, hey, I'm certified with 2% because I do give this much back because I do care. We'll start to see that needle move just a little bit. And so uh, you mentioned 21 hours uh, for the individual. That's 1% of your generally 1% of your workable hours. Yeah, absolutely. And And it's the same for the businesses. too. Okay. That. So it's not, it's not like per employee. No, it's I across mean, the business. A... And the reason is some of these bigger companies, they would have to hire someone just to keep track of those hours. Oh, that would be absolutely... I mean, it'd be a obscene. waste of the money that we're trying to get them to give to <laughs> conservation. So, so when I tell that to businesses, they're like, it's, the big ones are like, oh, some of them are still like, I don't know, that 21 hours, that's, mm-hmm. that's a lot. Like you have more than 20 employees. It really isn't. And, and that's when I know that maybe that company is not matured enough to have that conversation. Yeah. 
Well, it's like, I mean, I look, I look at it and, you know, I, I, I found out about 2% and then, uh, I, I honestly can't remember how, I think I may have seen, uh, your logo on, on some, some of the websites and, uh, something like yeah, that. Yeah. Because that's one thing business members do like mountain ops on their, you know, their bigger bottles. They've got our, our logo on, mm-hmm. on, on there like you would with all your other certifications and stuff. Um, Sika's putting it on all their bag tags, so is First Light. Uh, the brand's supposed to be everywhere, like some kind of seasoning, but we're not the main dish. Yeah. The, the, the conservation groups are, and, and we want to advocate them, but we want the concept to be ubiquitous. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it, as folks find out about us, see the stickers in different places and see, you know, people, that's why we have hats and t-shirts, you know, so that people have that conversation. Yep. And the conversation quickly turns from us and what we do in the certification to the groups that are doing the actual work on the ground. Because you don't get the certification for doing stuff with us. Yeah. You, that's, <laughs> that's not the model. You get it from doing with the local groups. Going and serving at your Trout Unlimited banquet or, you know, doing a goat, goat count like we were saying. So, yeah, no, definitely. I, and I, I'm pretty sure it was on probably the mountain, most likely the mountain ops website. I saw you guys, I clicked through and I looked, I'm like, you know, I was, I was looking towards the future of, of what yeah. I'm doing here oh, with yeah. living country in the city. And we talked about, uh, you know, I told you a little bit about that and, um, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a huge, I'm barely even a company <laughs> company at all, you know, <laughs> and I, you know, I'm not making a ton of money, but I thought, you know, as I'm starting this, I want to start it the right way and I want it from the very beginning because it's you know I mean one it's, it's a lot easier when you're starting out here to, to start and just yeah. add a little bit more every year and, and what that is versus you know okay now, I, now I'm big enough I feel like I can make a difference now I'm going to start doing it oh people do that with their lives all the time mm-hmm. oh now I'm old enough I can do or, or you know when I'm old enough not now I'm old enough yeah they always say when I am when I will be when I and that has gotten us where we're at now so yeah, but no, you you sent in stuff like right away, if I recall. You had like yep. a re- information request. I sent over the stuff. You sent it in right away. And we do take companies that are just starting out. So uh, getting like a notarized affidavit on like, hey, in our first year, we will donate this. Again, having a third party, a legal representation third party saying we're going to do this over the course of this year and this is who we're giving it to. Um, that works for the companies that are starting out. I don't do that for the bigger companies that have been around for a while or even <laughs> the small companies that have been around for a while. I'm like, well, then come back next year. But the companies that are just starting out, it's their first year and they want to have it as part of your culture starting out. Yeah, that's, we, we do have a, an aid for that so that <laughs> it does stick right away and so that it becomes part of your mindset when you do things. Because one of the powerful things with the model is if a group calls me up and said, one of these you know, nonprofits calls up and says, hey, we've got this project, it's outside of our budget, but we found out there's some diseased animals over here. Or we found out yada, 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 we need to pay a biologist or a helicopter pilot or something like that. We don't have the money. I send out an email and make some phone calls to the companies going, hey, have you hit your 1% for the year in, you know, in donations? We need this many dollars. Here's the guy you need to be in contact with. And then I call up the guy, you know, a week later, hey, did you get the money? Yeah, we did. And we were able to go up there and, you know, do what we needed to do. There's flexibility there. But if you're not part of that ecosystem, you would never know. Yeah. And a lot of these you know? places are smaller. You know, I mean, you've got Backcountry Understanders. You've got RMEF. You've got Mule Deer Foundation. Uh, we also have really lines, small rod and gun clubs, too. Exactly. Yeah. And, and those are the ones, 
you know, it's easy to think like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll do my BHA membership and my RMEF membership and that, yeah. that money's going out. And then, yeah. um, you know, I'm making those contributions, but, uh, it's the, a lot of the times it's those smaller ones that have those immediate needs. Oh, that are partnered usually with the bigger ones. A lot of the big ones use smaller organizations uh, to get a lot of good work done on the ground. Uh, Montana, uh, it's where I live, so I'm using it as an example. But uh, we have a lot of really small region-specific hunter groups, uh, hunting clubs, things like that, where they give their own time to doing trail maintenance or... Um, you know, doing noxious weed pulls, you know, an elk range and whatnot. And they're used by these bigger organizations when they need someone who's local. But they don't always get funding from those bigger ones uh, because the bigger ones simply don't have the funding for them. So uh, there's great opportunities to give back in, in ways that may feel small, but have a massive impact when you start doing it at scale. If you have all these little organizations around the country and around Canada, and we, we do have some memberships starting up in Europe right now, um, you have these smaller organizations all doing a little bit of work all over the place. That is a pile of work being done that would not have been done initially. And to be clear, um, I, I get this question a lot, you know, what's it cost for a nonprofit to be involved? Absolutely nothing. We do require that our certified businesses already be giving to you in some way, shape, or form. Uh, I had a call from, and this is no joke, the Squirrel Hunters Club of South Memphis. <laughs> um, I looked them up. They're not even a real thing. They were like some Facebook group that was trying to get money out of groups that disperse money, and they thought we handled money. So to just simplify things and to keep things you know, right. clean, uh, business members already need to be giving. Uh, to to a uh, nonprofit. So if if you you know as a listener or someone who has a organization you're doing something, um, if you've received any donations you know from a certified business of ours, or if you're interested in it, um, you know contact them and we can get you on the list for sure. And then you're part of the network of you know who can get involved. So yeah. All right. Also, we talked a little bit about uh, ways to get involved, but. Uh you know, there's we were we were talking. You know, there's there's tons and tons of ways to do your your volunteer time. Whether yeah. you know, once again, whether you're a company or an individual, um, not all of us live in in areas that are super conducive to the to the actual going to the back country and 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 do a lot of this work. But um, what what are some of the different? Uh, just I mean, maybe some examples of different opportunities. We talked about you know, yeah, the the sheep counts and yeah uh, all that stuff what are some maybe some other uh, yeah so if you're if you're looking for easy ways to get back a great way or a great place to start with finding out where needs are uh we mentioned going to the you know local rod and gun club if you don't have that you can go to a local game shop um that kid actually kind of sounded like a like an elk bugle we've got elk bugles going on I've all had around a couple us of right kids. Now. i was over here before yeah. and we had a couple of small elk buglers it's been a long day <laughs> uh, but you can go to your local gear shops they're usually pretty plugged in because they're always donating to these different groups uh, they're usually at least the first ones hit up for donations uh, your archery shops are often hit up you know hey do you got a bow to donate um, so they're going to know who the groups are that are doing stuff they may not know everything about those groups but i mean that's kind of your job you got to go find out if they're legit and if they're doing good work um another thing you can do if if you see a need in your area don't assume that there's some group that's already doing it good example would be uh stream cleanups 
Um, a lot of people just assume maybe the county will take care of it or the city. If your fishing spot's full of trash, find out at the local level what kind of laws there might be. Some places do have laws about not allowing you to pull trash. I, I did hear about one person who got a massive fine for pulling a, a tractor tire out of a pond. It had been there long enough that it was considered part of the ecosystem, so they got in trouble. <laughs> uh, there is stupid stuff like that, but for most people, what you'll find out... <laughs> oh, you know, just oh, getting recognized here. I got to put on the sunglasses. Yeah, you got to put on your sunglasses, your, your big, big, poofy mustache. Um, but don't assume someone's already doing the work. If you see a need, go to whatever local authority is in charge of that area and ask if you can do it. Um, they'll probably ask you to file for like a $30 permit or something like that. Uh, but you can go out and something as simple as a stream cleanup at the you know, kids' local fishing area can be really impactful. Or, you know, if you're living in an area that has a lot of urban and deer interface going on, there are local programs where you can help with doing uh, different types of fencing, things like that, to try to uh, keep things a little bit more copacetic. And a lot of times, you know, the, the big deer management groups, they're not looking at urban areas. So you have opportunities there. If there's invasive species in an area, you, you notice, you know, hey, wildlife doesn't like to graze over on that hill, but they go and graze on the other one. Oh, hey, it's covered in such and such nasty thing. It's not sexy, but it will get good work done. So always be looking for that kind of stuff and never assume someone else has it taken care of. Well, I think, you know, you just got to, a lot of the time too, you use a little bit of creativity with what you're doing because yeah. it is yeah it's not it's it's a variety of kinds of stuff you know it's like you said uh, taking taking kids or the elderly out fishing um there's yeah. uh you know teaching those hunter ed courses there's man hunter's ed courses around the country are short on instructors right now i'll tell you what I, in mine a big was, way mine was horribly boring it was just, it was literally <laughs> reading directly off of the, off of the slide, which was exactly was it, a Was copy. it a slide, like, like a projector slide? Full on, uh, not, not like an overhead projector, but oh, it was bummer. like, it was like a, just a straight PowerPoint presentation. Oh no. That was pretty much taken directly from the, uh, oh, no. the online course that I took. So there's a local they, improvement right there. Yeah. And I mean, you know, once again, like you said, uh, millennials are coming in and, uh, taking over this this hunting world and we need some some fresh life added into this you know if you're passionate about hunting and and you want to share that go in and, and you know what make it so i'm i'm not falling asleep during my hunter's that, that may have been just one bet because i well, gotta say that the instructors that i work with in my area i'm one of three guys who doesn't have gray white or no hair um <laughs> in our instructor group and the other guys are crazy passionate their kids love the course. The adults who take the course love the course. But if you see a need like that, that's a prime opportunity to step in, be dynamic, um, you know, and, and give great hands-on opportunities. Uh, even, even within my home state, there's a big difference between, like, how Hunter's Ed programs are ran here in the Bozeman area uh, where we have, you know, 250 kids come through in a week a couple times a year to how they're done on another side of the state where the kids don't even get to shoot a shotgun or a rifle by the end of the course. There's opportunity, and, and the reason why is because they don't have somewhere to go. So maybe you own some property that could be turned into a, a, you know, a, a, a range or something like that, if, depending on your local you know, regulations. Uh, or maybe you're someone who can just be there to be an extra 
body because some of these places have insurance requirements. You have to have a certain number of adults for a certain amount of kids. If you don't have those numbers, well, the kids don't shoot before they ever go out. That's like kids taking a driver's course and never driving a car before they get their license. We're giving 12-year-old kids firearms, or in some cases, 10-year-old kids firearms, and they never got to shoot it in an educational environment before they go out. I know, I mean, I know my hunter's ed course, uh, they had, they had the big blue painted, uh, fake, fake rifles and, and whatnot. And yeah. we, we went and we learned how to eject it and hold in theory, hold it, you know, safely. And, yep. and that was it. I, we did, it was, it wasn't even like a variety. They had us do a, a shotgun and that uh-huh. was, that was the only, only thing we touched was a fake shotgun. So that's, I mean, that's a huge opportunity, even for some, maybe some businesses to sponsor getting more of. Uh, you know, the dummy guns, because they have to be dummy guns for, yeah, for within the classroom. But then when you have a range day, you know, having the, you know, the right firearms for that. And there are uh, the International Hunters Education uh, Group. They've got tons of stuff for it, but the, the odds are the local courses just are underfunded mm-hmm. or understaffed um, at the state level or at the local level. So that's an easy way for people to get I mean you're if you do like a $50 donation that could turn into targets or clays for the kids courses um, similar thing for kids fishing programs it's very cheap there, there's organizations out there for fishing for archery like uh, NASP which is National Archery and Schools Program um, you can get certified to go and teach archery at schools for Phi Ed and it's awesome I used to do it <laughs> and, and they would, the schools would come to us and we'd teach them archery out in these fields and the teachers would you know be having a, a heck of a time too you know trying to hit these targets that are only like 10 feet away um, but the kids would actually get to do that and it reconnected them to their heritage and whatnot um, it's super easy to do you just have to go find it and do it and find if you find something you care about the odds of you doing it long term are high there's a reason why hunters ed instructors are all old they care about it They've been doing it for a long, long time. We had our first uh, statewide Hunter's Ed instructor meeting in the uh, Montana capital, Helena, uh, this last summer. It was the first one in like 20 years. And they had some guys in the room who taught at the very first Hunter's Ed programs that Montana ever had. There were two of them. And those guys were like Emperor Palpatine old. Like they were... (laughs) But they had these huge grins. You know, we all were clapping for them because they'd done it for, you know, three times my lifetime. Not really. That'd be 90 years. But, you know, <laughs> twice, twice my lifespan, they'd been teaching hunters ed every year faithfully. And they're, you know, sobbing their eyes out because it was a life achievement. Absolutely. You can do that with anything. If you find what you're passionate about, give your time and give your resources to it, and you will not be bummed with the results. Yeah. But if you just keep, you know, putting all your money towards trying to get special tags in different areas that you'll never, ever be able to go hunt because the odds are so horrible, well... Is that money doing as much for conservation? Now, please keep getting those tags, to be clear. Yeah. <laughs> but if, is that money doing the same for conservation? Or is your brand new boat doing the same for conservation that one-tenth of what that boat would have cost would do on an annual basis? It just, it's just not equivalent at all. Look at your skill set. See what you're passionate about. Yeah. You know, there's find creative ways to get involved. Uh, and... And use your money wisely. Yeah, yeah. With the uh, with the companies, you know, that come on and get certified, um, we don't. It, it doesn't have to be like actual checks that were sent out the door. We also, if they, you were donating stuff, or if your sale, you know, if your product that you're selling is your time, 
and you're donating that, we'll count that too. You know, uh, there's a, a bino harness company that'll be coming on here soon as 2% certified. Uh, and they donate bino harnesses to conservation groups all the time. Those are sales he's missing out on. Mm-hmm. Um, Sitka, First Light, Mountain Ops, those guys are notorious for dumping a ton of thousands of dollars of product to all these different local banquets and stuff. And people give at the raffles and stuff. They don't get a dime for that gear that they could have sold at Sportsman's Warehouse or something. But it does further the cause for that group. And without those donations from companies like that, it's very hard to get the money. It's very, very hard to get the money. So, yeah, there's, there's something there for everybody to do. So now if uh, businesses or individuals wanted to get involved, get certified, yeah. how, does that, how does that application process work? So we work? have an amazing URL for our website. It's fishandwildlife.org. I saw that. I'm like, how on earth? I know. I don't know how our founder, Jeff, got it. I know he like, was looking for different URLs and it showed up and he didn't take it the first day. And he called one of the guys who's on our board now, who's in tech, and was like, hey, this is the thing I saw. And he was like... You get that, and you get that now. <laughs> He's like, "This is a hundred bucks. I don't know if I want it." You get that now. So we have fishandwildlife.org because two percent for conservation.org sounds like a typo waiting to happen. Oh yeah, you can't use the percent symbol either, so you'd have to spell out the whole thing. So it's it's two uh, percent.org would would take you to our site, but fishandwildlife.org is where we where we send everyone, and you can do a business application there or an individual membership. And for individual members, you'll get, and I'm a little behind on letters, so by the time you hear this, hopefully everyone who <laughs> signed up while I've been at all the trade shows, I'll have been in my office for a few days and I can finally send out your certification letters um, for the last month, all hundred some of you. <laughs> so sorry. Um, but uh, you know, you'll get those in the mail. You get added to our list uh, for getting stuff. We're not going to spam you. You're not going to get all these weird stories and stuff that you don't care about. You're going to get stuff that you're passionate about, and that's, that's why you signed up. Um, and then for businesses, you can fill out your application right there uh, on the site as well. And so, once again, just to reiterate, uh, what are the requirements for a business application? So, it's the it's same for, for business and individual. It's just with a business I check. Yeah. Right? Um, so, it's 1% of your time. So, 1% of an employee's time, 21 hours for the year. Not per person, but company-wide. And then 1% of your annual sales per year uh, going to conservation groups, hunting and fishing conservation groups, or to c- hunting and fishing conservation causes. Maybe there's not a group, but you help pay for a project or a land buy that opened access. Uh, a lot of companies are starting to do that. Uh, there's in some way, shape, or form, it's got to come back to fish and wildlife conservation. But basically, there, there's an application. Yep. You provide, for as a business, you provide either the tax return, a CPA note, or... Yeah, the, I, uh, I prefer the CPA note, because I... You don't want to look through a bunch of tax returns? I really don't. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, a note from your CPA that says, here was their sales from this last year. And, and we work on your fiscal, not ours. So, you know, whatever fits best for your annual, um, we'll, we'll make that work. Here was your sales. Here's what you gave. How much and to who? Um, and it's, it seriously will fit on a post-it note, you know, but I don't want a post-it note. I want a CPA <laughs> note, but it would, you know, that's, that's how little information I need. And if you've got like private board members or something, you know, your board is all very careful about your dollar amounts that are moving out. We can also work on percentage stuff. We'll just need to talk about that uh, because it does, I'm not going to let just anybody use our logo. Um, 
one of the guys I was talking to yesterday was like, that's like the worst hunting karma in the world if you were to fake your 2% <laughs> <laughs> certification. You'll never draw you a tag never got again. Tag again. <laughs> but, uh, how did this over-the-counter unit sell out? <laughs> you know. <laughs> because you fudged your application. Um, no, we, we try to keep it super easy and super simple. And again, if you're a new company, we'll work on, you know, you got to get a notary to you know, sign off that you're mm-hmm. going to do this over the next year and we will check in with you. And if you didn't, you don't get to use it anymore. You go mm-hmm. off of our website and all of that. So, and that's where I'm at. I got to get my butt out of the office and uh, go find well, you gotta get your butt back into the office because yeah, yeah. you've been on the road. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, and also uh, there are uh, for, I don't know about the individual members for the businesses. There are application fees as well. Uh, so there's annual dues fees, annual but dues. They're, they're really small. Um, they scale with you. So like a company that's making uh, like 50 million to a hundred million a year is going to pay like 20 grand. But a company that's making less than two hundred thousand a year is going to pay three hundred bucks, and you'll be listed along the same company, along mm-hmm. with the same company that's making a hundred million a year. And and correct me if I'm wrong. I, if I remember reading, those dues also go towards your one percent, right? Or uh, they can. They can. Yeah, yeah, uh, because they go straight towards conservation work. Um, we're we're again two percent. We want to stay in the background, but we do want to help out where we have opportunity, where there's a cultural shift that we can put some money behind. Not if there's a special army F project or so-and-so doing this, whatever. But if there's a project that is going to help change the culture, move things towards conservation being right up there with we need to eat and higher than I want a big sexy buck on my wall. If there's something working towards that, we will put money towards it. So, uh, you know, it covers me flying to things like this, which ain't always cheap. Um, covers flying to speaking engagements where we go and talk to non-hunters about conservation and to hunters about conservation, but also helps with projects like uh, One Montana's doing this advanced hunter program where they're working with getting hunters and landowners to play nice together again. Amazing. And so we're helping fund a little bit. It's a very small amount that we're putting towards it uh, in the broad scheme of everyone who's putting money towards it, <laughs> like Boone and Crockett Club and RMEF and the others. But um, yeah, we will use some of it for that. Um, and, and as we grow, you know, we're going to start doing more stories on stuff. Uh, we've started filming a couple uh, different conservation success stories that did not involve necessarily nonprofits leading it or agencies leading it, but local on the ground people doing the work, um, making sacrifices that it was their choice. No one told them they had to do it. They just saw a need and they figured out a way to do it. Um, we're going to start doing more of that. And so that's what dues will go towards. But it's, again, we never want to be big. Our overhead is meant to be very small. And the projects are, you know, part of what will move that needle forward. So, All right, y'all. Well, head on over to fishandwildlife.org. Yep. Um, Can also find you on Instagram as well, right? Yep. We're on Instagram. We're also on Facebook. I don't check the Facebook that much on the internets, but uh, (laughs) we are are on Instagram as well. You can see some of what we're doing there. Just type in, you can, I think you can type it in just about any way and it pops up if I remember correctly. So uh, 2% for conservation. Guys, you know, you're starting out, you're just starting out hunting. You're just starting out getting into the outdoors. This is incredibly important. 2% 2% for conservation, fishandwildlife.org. Go check them out. Get involved. You're starting a business. Look into, look into starting it the right way. Uh, you're an individual just getting into the outdoors. Get involved. Start volunteering. Give your money. It, it really secure, secure what's important to us for the future. Yep. So, 
Jared, thanks so much for taking the time and Thank hopping you. on. Really, good, really glad to have you on. Thank you very much. All right, y'all, that'll do it for episode 65 of Living Country in the City. Make sure y'all check out the show notes page at livingcountryinthecity.com slash 65. You can check out links to 2% for conservation as well as everything we talked about in today's episode. But in the meantime, keep it country, y'all. Thank y'all for listening to Living Country in the City. Get show notes and check out the blog, product reviews, events, and more at livingcountryinthecity.com. 